Welcome to What's So Funny, a comedy podcast where we talk about some of the most influential and controversial comedians from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh. Here's your host, Dave Swanson. Hi, welcome back to What's So Funny. I'm your host, Dave Schwenson, and today I have two co-hosts with me. Oh my gosh, I'm excited about this. Logan Rashaw. Good to be back again, Dave. Good to have you back, Logan. And Tom McGallis. Oh my gosh. We're going to talk today about Martin Mull. Yeah, an Ohio guy. Mm -hmm. He spent some time in Ohio. He was actually born in Chicago, but I think he was about two years old. He moved to North Ridgeville, Ohio. Yeah, until he was about 15. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but he has a special that he did later called Live in North Ridgeville, where it's all filmed in North Ridgeville's high school gym. Ah, uh, you know, I kind of remember that. He's in it's it? It's nuts. I can't believe this is a thing HBO paid him to do. <laughs> but it's really, it's a good hour special. I didn't see that. And it's the it's the mu- the music, the comedy, the music. Music the sketches. Fred Willard pops in for a little bit. He of talks course. to the mayor of North Ridgeville. It's, I missed it. <laughs> yeah, a whole variety show. So, yeah, he's got some local roots here, which is cool, because we're all from, like, the Cleveland, Northeast Ohio area. Yeah. He did some shows right here, because he'll reference things like Lake Erie and mm-hmm. Cleveland, you know, because this is where he grew up. Like you said, Logan, he was here till he was about 15, and then where did he move? He moved somewhere on the East Coast after that. Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah, so he was all around the East Coast from high school and college on. Well, very interesting. Yeah, we're going to talk about Martin Mull, and we'll probably talk a little bit about Fred Willard. Yeah. Uh, The two of them were pretty much like a team for a while. Tied together, you're right. But, you know, Martin Mull's a very interesting guy to get into comedy, because that's not what he wanted to do. He was an artist. Yeah, man. Went to RISD, a very famous uh, design art school. A lot Mm -hmm. of guys that do comedy have started out as artists. In fact, Martin Mull's still painting and said, you know, all that other stuff was kind of my day job to support my painting. Yeah. Yeah. I never stopped uh, painting. He's done it the entire time and still does it and has exhibits. And I got to say, I'm just looking through his art. I was blown away. Pretty yes. good, man. Pretty good stuff. He only got into comedy and music to support his art. Well, it was it was like he could go out and sing and play music and make money, whereas being an art guy, unless you went... I think he said, you know, to stay out of the war, I, I went, got my master's, and then I was, there was no doctorate. I couldn't continue in school, so <laughs> I had to go out and make cash, and music was a, a way he could go in and make a quick dollar just to yeah. pay the bills, you know? And it makes sense. It makes sense. It's easier yeah. than going and selling paintings on the street, you know? Right. It really and is. instead of, like, waiting tables or attending bar or something like that, he started playing music in the local clubs where he he's was good. going to college. He's and good. Yes, yeah. he's very good. What an excellent guitar player and talented. As I mean, this is what we're going to talk about with Martin Mull because art, music, and comedy. The guy combined all these to be a success. He came out and he's playing pretty good music. I mean, he's got a full band behind him when he tours and everything, but he's adding humorous lyrics. He's funny. It's just not 
pure comedy because it's still like rooted in the genre that he's doing. And he does a bunch of different genres. So it's yes. like good for a genre as well, but still just kind of sillier and lighter. He's got some classic stuff out there, which really I had forgotten about until we were prepping to do this program. I thought, well, mm-hmm. let me go back. I haven't heard anything from Martin Mull in a while. So I went back and listened to his, I don't know, his first three albums. Mm-hmm. I just got done on a trip. So I was on an airplane. <laughs> so I had time. I listened to three Martin Mull albums to get me from, I think, Denver to Cleveland. I was pretty shocked to be reminded of how strong a musician, how strong the musical bass was in his, you know, the bassist, his band. I mean, these were musical albums. It reminds me of when you watch a Mel Brooks movie and he's doing a parody of Hitchcock. And like on its own, it's still a good Hitchcock formula that he's doing. And that's what Martin Mull does with everything. I mean, he's got like jazz on here, country, some blues. There's an album where he has like a disco song and he's nailing how each of these songs should be. Do you hear that little ukulele blues thing he did? It's just oh, isn't like, that great? The even that's hilarious, man. It's funny. It's interesting. Or the uh, dueling tubas. I mean, these things that he does that are, have a little idea behind them, you know? And that dueling tubas, by the way, that came out about the time of, um, what was that movie? A Deliverance? The Deliverance, yeah. Okay, dueling banjos. So oh, it's a parody yeah. of that. But it still it made the charts. <laughs> it got in the top sixty or something of the Billboard charts. Dueling tubas. That's the first song on his second album too. Like if we could just kind of like focus on one album, it's probably the live one is the best to look at. Martin Mullen is fabulous furniture live from your front yard. Is that it? Live from your living room. Live from your in your living room. I think live it was. in your living room. And the fabulous furniture. That was the name of his band. But he kicks it off with the dueling tubas, which That's is just awesome. such a weird, silly thing. And I'm glad he does it because it. Sets a tone. You know, it's funny because the, the blues thing, is, he, I was talking about the ukulele blues. He, he once said, you know, a delta is simply a built up of dirt next to a body of water. Yeah. And, he, and he says, so now, in a way, isn't that Ohio? It's Cleveland, <laughs> I think he yeah. said. Yeah, Northern yeah. Ohio or something. It's funny. He's uh, called, the, you know, now I could sing the blues here, the Delta Blues right here in Ohio. Because that goes back <laughs> to his roots. I mean, he grew up, you know, close to Lake Erie, close to Cleveland. So it was funny. He says, you know, you don't have to be poor to sing the blues. Like his yeah, grandfather right. taught him the blues. Well, his grandfather had a furniture store or something like that or a car dealership. And he says, you know, I was so mad. I threw my drink across the lawn. And of all these <laughs> funny, funny, but he's playing good blues. His special that he did, the 60-minute thing. And he's right there, man, with Glenn Campbell, which is a real challenge. The Glenn Campbell was great. Oh, yeah. He was a studio musician before he became a beach boy mm-hmm. and then became Glenn Campbell. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and Martin Mull's got no problem, man, just sitting right there with him, you know? Well, if you watch his stuff and you listen to his albums, that's the thing that I had forgotten about him. These are real music albums. He wrote these songs, and they're good songs. And like I said, he played in jazz, he played blues, he played pop, he's got a rock song. And when he did play the disco song, Tom, you brought that up, and it sounded just like disco. But the funny, here's where the comedy comes in, because you hear him talking to the producer or ABC Records or whatever it is. He goes, I'm not doing a disco song. There's no way I'm doing a disco song. I can't play that kind of music. And the next thing you know, boom, he's doing a disco song. Yeah. <laughs> I think they just tell him like how much money is in disco and then it cuts to it. Because yeah, the beginning it. of the album, they're like, what do you want to do? We'll do anything. You can do a studio recording, you can do live. And he's like, well, I think we should do it in the studio, but it will cost more money. And then it just cuts to him being introduced yes. live. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. another thing about his albums is they have great sketches between the songs. Sometimes his introductions are longer than the songs themselves. Yeah, And he... Yeah did this very different time. He would take his furniture with him on the road, doing these gigs. And I don't know how long he did, he'd work the road, but he would take his couch 
end table, you know, rug, lamps. He would take his furniture <laughs> in a U-Haul. And then he would put that all on the stage so he could feel more comfortable. And so you've ever seen him live or even his videos on YouTube or his TV specials, things he did, you know, he's sitting on a couch with his guitar. Like a living room. A it's living like room. a living room. You know, he'll perform with a full band. Do you know how that originally started? He he said that he he goes, you know, I was watching the Beatles and all these bands that would play and they'd spread out on the stage. They'd be in front of these big Marshall stacks and they couldn't hear each other. They couldn't. And he goes, and I was experiencing some of that. Then I'd come home and sit in my living room with my buddy and we'd be playing. We're like, this is what music should be. So they started bringing the furniture to the <laughs> stage. And then I think later when it got further out, when he was traveling further out, he had to put it on his like rider or whatever. You guys have to get this furniture for me. Um, oh. at, a thr- at a thrift store. <laughs> Probably. I mean, yeah, he got you, real famous. Yeah, uh-huh. it's like, and they would go to thrift stores and get it, and it would be there when he got to the, to the show. But uh, he stopped traveling with it, I guess. <laughs> well, another story I heard him do in an interview about the furniture and everything, they asked him, what was the worst gig you ever had? He said, oh, God, maybe like in Washington, D.C. or something. He was opening for the Pointer Sisters, and he had his furniture on stage and everything. Oh, man, the and Pointer he said, Sisters. He said it was obvious. He said, I walked out, he says, four seconds into this show, he says, it's obvious they were there for the Pointer Sisters, not some, and he called himself a fat white guy <laughs> playing a guitar. <laughs> yeah. So he said he played one song, and he said, that's it. Thank you very much. He no walked way. off stage and everybody started applauding. And it was a lot of applause. It was loud. <laughs> and the producer of the show said, Martin, they love you. Go back out there. You got to go back out there. He said, all right. So we're walking back out. He said he actually heard a woman in the first row yell at her husband next to him. See, I told you you were clapping too loud. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but what he, he did was he went, to the, he went to the couch they had on. He, he looked through it and pretended to find a quarter and put it in his pocket and said, thank you very much and walked off stage again. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's a isn't it a similar sort of kind of white guy that he kind of called aggressively stupid guy. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Was, there's it's sort know. of like this college pompous character yeah. <laughs> that's actually like just a doofus. I'm just I'm I'm stupid, but I'm aggressively stupid and I'm wonderful and I'm pompous. And he's delusional. Confident. Yeah, confident, yeah. His real break was playing. Kind of character, smarmy is a word. I don't know where I saw that from. Or just kind of one of these kind of creepy guys on the uh, the joke, I guess you want to call it, soap opera. It was called Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. You guys familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. He and it was it was short lived, right? It was a Norman Lear project. Norman right? Lear, yeah. yeah. Who did All in the Family, the Jeffersons, Sanford Son. I mean, Norman Lear was the hot guy in the early 1970s, he was it. and he came up with this parody of a soap opera called Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. And I'm telling you, it was a hit. I mean, it is still like a cult kind of favorite because it is so out there. I mean, everything bad that can happen to someone out of sick on murder, affairs, illegitimate kids, I don't know, whatever, drinking, you know, everything going on, this had it in. And they played it straight. They played it like serious. And it was just great. hysterical. And no audience, no audience. No audience. It ran for what two years or something like that. Two maybe he, three years. And he was years. killed off, right? His character was. They found Martin off. Mull. I don't know where they found him, doing music or just that character he was doing on stage, like that overconfident. He thinks all the women love him, all the guys want to be like him, and he can't do anything wrong. And they brought him on as this awful character. He was a wife beater actually, but they killed him off. They impaled him on a Christmas tree. Beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> nice. beautiful. But the audience loved him so much. They loved him so much, they had to bring him back. So they brought him back. Again, this is like a parody of the soap operas. Uh-huh. Norman Lear brought him back as his twin brother. So he was, he, his name was Garth on Mary Harmon. They brought him back as Barth. 
the twin brother. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the character then he went on to play at uh, Fernwood, right? Yes, Barth Gimbel. Gimbel, yeah. I tell you, I was a fan. I'm sorry, I was a fan of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. I was a fan of Fernwood Tonight, which was the spinoff they did. It was brilliant, man. Yeah, it was the parody of a talk show. It's just so funny and like ahead of its time. And this is where he met Fred Willard, right? Norman Lear brought them in an office together and threw him a, a couple pages of script. Says, here's the idea I have, and I think the two of you would be perfect for this with, you know, Martin Mull playing the host and Fred Willard would be the, the dim-witted, whatever you want to call it, you know, co-host. And he said they started reading the script, and within a couple of lines, they were off script. They were making this stuff up because both of them were improvisers. Of course, Fred Willard, I mean, genius. I mean, he's no longer with us now, but together, the two of them, they said they just fell into these characters, and it was hysterical. It was one year, I think, right? July 77 to September 77. I, they, they brought it back a couple times. You know, they, it was Fernwood Tonight, and then it was off the air for about maybe eight, seven, eight months, and then it came back as America Tonight. America right? Tonight. But they would bring on these local... Because they moved it. They moved it from Fernwood, Ohio to California. That's what happened to Alta Coma, California, a fictional city, <laughs> another one. And when they <laughs> were doing it in what's supposedly Fernwood, Ohio, they had on local people that would come in. Like they had this, I got to, I mean, he was a comic, uh, Bill Curtinbauer, I think it was his name. He played a, a lounge singer that was terrible, Tony somebody. And but oh, he was yeah, real big yeah, in yeah. Fernwood because he would play at the at the bar on Friday night. And so he was thought he was like Wayne Newton or something. And they played it straight. That was the whole thing, too. They weren't playing it for jokes. They played it as their characters. Yeah, they just made the situation so strange that it's great. Like, there's not that much that still does that sort of humor. I love that awkward, cringy, situational humor. Well, it's, it influenced the Larry Sanders show. Oh, for sure, yeah. Gary Shandling. I mean, it influenced a lot. You know, you talk about even some of the late night shows like Stephen Colbert or these people, to, you know, they're on late night television tonight hosts. You know, they do a lot of farce things. You know, they take the news and they're saying, and they're making it, and I'm not saying they're making it up, but they're taking the news, they're giving it all these twists for comedy and stuff. But that's what Fernwood Tonight, they were the first ones doing that. I remember one episode where they were like, they brought on a guy who was Jewish. Did you see that? I know it's like, yeah, that clip is so good. And it's like, you know, what's it? You're 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 a Jew. This and they talk about it like, you know, wow, we have a real live one here. And they take calls and it's played straight as as, as you know, even the Jewish guy and all that. But it's really uh, it's hilarious. You know, it's hilarious. Nobody was doing that kind of stuff. I mean, the whole point is just like they're showing how dumb they are. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why it works so well. And you. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. I wonder, you know, like, I think there was a real boom of comedy. It was really like fertile ground in the 70s because, you were, you know, you were able to, to do some things and play with some things and explore some things. And it was funny then. And if you watch it now, it's still funny. And Fred Willard kind of going, 
geez, you know, you know, when you go into the, do you do, when you wear the yarmulkes now, the ones with the, the propeller, well, then he goes, come on, you know, and he, he really plays it like, I don't know. I don't, what is it? It's just weird, funny stuff, Well, that man. goes back to the time, their era. And that's why I like, you know, what's so funny. We talk about these legendary comedians, different eras they're in. Because when we, we first started talking about Martin Mull, it's like the music scene, the rock music scene at that time, the baby boomer generations, the Woodstock generation, whatever you want to call it, they were taking themselves a little too seriously. Okay. Exactly. Everything because yeah. mm-hmm. we had the Vietnam going on, civil rights, you know, things that are still like happening today. But nobody really had a sense of humor. And then Martin Mull comes around. That generation, they were very accepting of things that say their parents, the 50s and early 60s, were not going to accept. And, you know, the things they got away with them, then audiences today probably wouldn't accept. You know, things go in circles. That's how I look at it. I mean, I think Martin Mull got it. North Ridgeville, Ohio, Fernwood, Ohio. It's like you can run into people that, yeah, I never met a Jewish guy. Really? And so I think he tapped into the idea that there are really, in the middle of America, there are people that have never had a bagel at the time at that time yeah you know i remember that you know where it's like bagels what the, you know <laughs> and like even as a greek we used to make yogurt uh, my mother would make yogurt and there what? were yogurt yeah. mm-hmm. come yeah. on get <laughs> serious yeah there were people in my neighborhood you know i mean in the 70s or whatever they would go like what is that and you're like it's yogurt man are you what sour milk and they thought <laughs> Uh, these Greek people are weird making yogurt. Well, now it's everywhere. You would have been invited to be a guest on Fernwood tonight. Yes, a Greek. And, and Fred Willard would have been <laughs> sour milk. Are you serious? So, and, what do you put that? Yeah, that's yeah. already gone bil- bad. That milk's bad. So, what, you're eating it. You Greek people, is it? And you make it cheese out of that? I mean, it could, it's like this naive sort of. Uh, um, you know, I mean, yeah, well, it, it was again, making it fun of like middle America, you know, white with middle America mayonnaise. Yeah, and again, <laughs> not that bright. I mean, if you got a speeding ticket in Fernwood, you might wind up as a guest on the TV show to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And oh, matter of fact, there was an episode too where Barth Martin Mull got a speeding ticket <laughs> before the show, and he was all mad. I'm not going to mention the officer's name, however, badge number so and so so. And then he goes That's on his awesome. rant. Says, "I was going to give the money to the Kidney Foundation, but no, <laughs> I have to give the twenty five dollars to you guys." And it went on. It was just perfect, Martin Mull. When you watch clips of it, or you, if you can find whole episodes, you feel like you just like found a random public access show. Yes, they nailed it. The characters are so good. I wish more people knew about it. Yeah, they they should look that up. And there there are episodes. I don't know how many are full seasons or full season because then it went to the next one. But they should look that up because that I think that is prime peak of Martin Mall's sort of that character. But these guys were doing a parody of it. It was so funny. I think it was the Fernwood thing where they were talking about doing a live show. Did you guys hear this? Where it was like he said, uh, uh, Norman Lear said, "Well, it's a live thing. I don't know if you'd be right for it." And he said, "Well." doing a live show. So he put on a live show at one of his furniture shows in LA So and invited Norman Lear, and it was really going well. And in the middle of it, he said, he, I dropped out a character and said, hey, Norman, you know, do I get the job? <laughs> and he said, you got the job. And he goes, he goes, continue. And he goes, all right. So he continued the show, but it was kind of like an audition. And I believe that's what became Fernwood. I think the idea, it was created by Norman Lear. Yeah, well, I mean, again, they cast him first on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, to play a character. He was an actor. You know, then 
he did become popular and he got to be, everyone knew who Martin Mull was. And he started releasing these music albums and he had a band, I mean, a full band. Matter of fact, one of his members of the band he had for a while was was Greg Hawks from The Cars. He was the keyboard player for The Cars. He was actually in the band. He was the sax player (laughs) in the band. And he had a drummer and a piano player, guitar player, bass player. And Martin Mull sat on a couch playing a guitar. So it was going like going to a musical concert but he was doing these funny bits in between playing this character that he was. Oh, matter of fact, he, one of his most famous songs is he was talking about censorship. He says, you know, people get offended if you say certain things, and I don't want to offend anybody here. Oh, the so, humming song? The humming song, yes. Yeah. He says, I'm just going to hum the parts that might offend someone. So he played this whole, <laughs> it, was, it was a great song. It was a good good tune, a good backing, and everything, but he's humming half of it. <laughs> it's just so stupid. I mean, my God, it was just ridiculous. It was so funny. I've seen him do the thing that uh, where he's doing is I don't know which which episode or which uh, thing it was, but he's doing it's the nothing song. Is that oh, the yeah. one where he kind of walks off stage at the at the he finishes they say doing nothing, nothing. Uh, doing nothing, <laughs> and then he walks off. And I thought there's a little you know there's a little Andy Kaufman in that a little bit of performance art, a little breaking it you know this sort of wall down a little bit and conceptual. conceptual I'm glad you stuff. brought that up because that's a real rocking song. That's a, you know, again, he did all these different types of music. You know, we're talking about jazz and blues. He did that French, he did that French song. He put on the beret and, you know, a fake mustache. And he was, you know, whatever, the French. But this was a rock song. And they're playing heavy duty rock. It says, everybody's doing nothing. And then you stop (laughs) in silence. (laughs) Okay, thank you very much. You've been a great audience. (laughs) Turns the lights off, walks off to to quiet. I thought that was kind of, it was really, really cool. It's a good one. But, you know, Martin Mull went on to a lot of, different things, acting gigs after this. The one thing that he and Fred Willard did together that made history on network television was the first gay couple on The Roseanne Show. Oh, yeah, 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 Mm -hmm. Roseanne Barr at that time had The Roseanne Show, and Martin Mull was her boss on the show, and he played a gay character. And they brought in Fred Willard to play— What year was that? Was that— In the 90s. Early 90s. But the thing is, with this, these characters they did on Roseanne, uh, they actually had a, a gay wedding ceremony okay. on the show. And that was the first time in history. I mean, are you kidding me? You know, people from the 60s or 70s, like, you know, you didn't do that. But here it was in the early 90s. They did this. And the story is that um, they went to Martin Mull to see if he can get Fred Willard on to do this. And he called up Fred Willard and said, look, they want us to play a gay couple on Roseanne and have get married. And Fred Willard was always like, anything Martin Mull wants, I'll do. Yes, I don't even need to read the script. I'm there. Yes, we'll do this. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I saw an interview that he did about this, and it was from 2013. So it's kind of before we even really started thinking about it as much like we do today. But he said the only hesitation he had with taking the role was he felt bad that he might be taking the role away from some actor who actually was gay. And today that's like a big thing, like... The Simpsons announced they won't have people right. come and oh, yeah. voice characters that are different from their actual nationality. But I don't think we were even, I mean, in 2013, it wasn't that much of something we thought about. And certainly in the 90s, to right. think that that was a problem for him is Where we're evolving. interesting. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's funny. I just, you were thinking about this time period, early, early 90s, coming out of his, you know, he's starting to do movies at that point and starting to, to really expand. But he had never, like, set out. To be, I think I, I don't know. I can't remember ex- exactly what he had said about what his words were exactly, but he said he kind of like stumbled into, accidentally stumbled into a showbiz career. 
And the thing he did too, it was great. He made so much fun of himself. You know, I mean, every time the crowd gave him any little bit of applause, he's was, oh, come on, it was nothing. Then he'd be waving his hand, like, give me some more, give me more applause, you know, and oh, what a wonderful crowd you are. Just really stuck on himself. You know, he hadn't really mm-hmm. done anything yet. But then, you know, he starts talking about the other, like different nationalities, different people, and just, you know, he and didn't that comes take it from, seriously. It comes from building up your character to an audience, too. Because once people know who you are, you get away with a lot of that so much easier. You don't have to backtrack and explain yourself. Like, Richard Pryor, once people knew who he was, he could kind of get away with talking about anything without saying, like, oh, well, now I know doing what I was doing was wrong. But here's the story. Like, no, you just accepted the story because you knew it was Richard Pryor. You don't need to go into a whole background of why he's saying what he's saying. That's why I always say, like, the real star comics, once we know who they are already, they can walk on stage and start right in the middle of their act if they want, because everybody knows who Richard Pryor is. Everybody knows who oh, George yeah. Carlin is. Okay, Jerry Seinfeld, this and that. And Martin Mull got to be the same way. I mean, he they knew that character. That's why they were buying tickets. That's why they were there. Sold-out shows. I mean, theaters. You know, he'd come out, the band would be on stage, and he comes out, and he's that character. It's also kind of cool... I mean, I've never done music like that, but it's kind of interesting to have that as a, as a, as a, I don't say prop, but it's part of your act where you can, you know, you can talk a little bit, do a little bit of the voice of uh, vocal comedy, you know, your storytelling, and then bam, into a song. And it's kind of a cool thing to have there. It isn't just you sitting at a mic. It's your band that you can play off of. I, I guess the question I'm having is, it, did, he, did he ever do it just stripped down by himself, nobody? I think when he first started, he had to. Yeah. I don't even know if he had a I didn't band. see anything like that. Yeah, by the time he was doing albums, and I think one of his wives, now he was married three times. Uh, one of his was wives busy. was a piano player, I think. And I think she toured with him. I know, I think when she got pregnant, she went off the road. He said, well, the band broke up, but not really broke up because that's my wife. Yeah, <laughs> so oh, something. she was, yeah. Yeah, I think when he first started, it was kind of a stripped down, like, you know, college bar. He was in college, that kind of stuff, doing it. And it just really, really took off. Introducing bands, I think that's what was going on initially, wasn't it? Sort of bringing bands on and being part of the band, and then it just turned into the banter was getting a lot of response. But I want to bring up one last thing about him. Just This is how really powerful he was in the industry of stand-up comedy, because I remember this specifically. I was working in New York, in New York City in the late 80s at the at the improv. And the thing was, there were, you know, I love all different types of comedy. I mean, stand-up comedy, stamp their talk. I don't care if you juggle, if you have props, okay, play the guitar, music, whatever. But it really became noticeable in the comedy scene that, you know, the Tonight Show was the pinnacle. Everybody wanted to be on the Tonight Show at that time, and it's Johnny Carson, even with Jay Leno, the only guitar act they would have on The Tonight Show would be Martin Mull. I didn't notice that. The comedians started telling me that. And I noticed, huh. yes. And they would, if they needed a guitar act, they would bring out Martin Mull. And he would do the jokes, he'd play the songs, sit in his couch, then he would sit next to Johnny. But all the stand-up comedians that came on The Tonight Show, none of them played the guitar. I specifically remember a few of my guitar acts that I would schedule for the New York Improv they were trying to do acts without the guitar. They were trying to get away from that so they could be seen for The Tonight Show. 
Oh, that's interesting. See, all there was, a, so there was a little bit of bi- bias or, or, or not prejudice or something, right? There was kind of well, like- it just seemed to be with casting. I don't know, uh, you know, if Jim McCauley was casting at that time, Craig Tennis. I don't know who was doing. These were the guys who found the comedians for the Tonight Show. Musical comedy in general just kind of gets like a bad rap. So maybe it was just sort of like <laughs> we will not book a musical comedian except for Martin Mull. Maybe like, that he was had it. gotten the pass. Yeah, mm. he got it because he was so good. He was so well known. He was famous. Nineteen eighties. He was still, you know. David Letterman, Johnny Carson. And so when they wanted a guitar comedian, it was Martin Mull, and they were not booking these other guys. So I do, I, some of them kind of struggled a little bit. I remember they would come into the club like, where's your guitar? Oh, I'm, I'm trying to do a set without it. We're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> that's, your, that's your crutch, man. That's your that's thing, your man. That's, that's why you're doing a Saturday night show and you're not doing a Monday <laughs> afternoon, okay? Because of the guitar. But yeah, that's, that's just how well-known Martin Mull was, and he was the go-to guy. You know, I, I got to bring one other uh, musical guy into it because it, it struck me as, on Fernwood as a, as a pinnacle moment was uh, Tom Waits. Did you guys see that bit yeah. on there? When, he, when he's on there doing like, you know, the piano's been drinking or does these bits. And he, I think, coined the phrase, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was that where he got it. It was on Fernwood. I think that's where the phrase happened. Because then you hear it later in movies and sh- shows like, no, Tom Waits said it. In 77. Right. I mean, he liked musical people. And I think that he just always admired having, you know, musicians and whether it's comedy or not. But And Waits was a little bit funny, man. I mean, some of that stuff was borderline insane. Oh, yeah. No, Waits is really funny. I hope our listeners will go on online, YouTube or somewhere, watch some of these Fernwood Tonight shows. Because even, even when he had the good guests on there or the, the amateur guests or whatever, they would pan the camera over to... Martin Mull and Fred Willard sitting there like, you know, the host and the co-host are supposed to be watching these acts. And they would just be making faces like, oh, my gosh, end this, please. This guy's <laughs> terrible. Then they notice the camera's on him and they perk up like, oh, yeah, this guy's great. But it was just hysterical what they were doing. Well, gentlemen, I hope it was hysterical what, we would, what we've been doing here because we're at the end of our, uh, this is our time. This is it. Yeah, oh my God, was, I thought we just got going here. I know. We're just warming up. We're talking about Martin <laughs> Mull, and we just went crazy here. But I'm going to have to sign off. And uh, I had a blast, as always, talking to Logan Rashaw. I had a great time talking Martin Mull with you. If we want to do a part two, three, or four for all of his other projects, let's do Jeez, it. Yeah. I feel yeah. like we could fill a lot more time. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom McGallis. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Always great hanging with you guys. Okay, and I'm Dave Schwenson, so thank you for joining us. We'll be back again with another episode or version or whatever you want to call this of What's So Funny. And until then, keep laughing. What's So Funny is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael DeLoya, producer Sarah Wilgroup, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work, and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. 
think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.